Welcome to the bonus Slate Plus segment for Hi-Fi Nation, episode one of season three, the pre-crime unit. I'm offering this bonus for free this episode, but to get all of the future bonus content, sign up for Slate Plus by clicking the link in the show notes, slate.com slash hi-fi plus. A lot of things didn't make the cut in the main episode, including some rather creepy things that happened during the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition's protest of the Central Bureau Seesaw. So in this plus segment, I'm going to take you through a little bit of the backstory between the police commission and the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition. I'm going to run you through some of the contentious interactions that happened during the protest. And sociologist Sarah Brain and I talk about what she takes to be the most potentially transformative elements of predictive policing, including the possibility of increasing surveillance on the police themselves. What was the thing that led to kind of the blow up and how often does that happen that they bring a bunch of officers in to escort you out i would say quite a bit two years ago in 2016 i believe uh, they even arrested eight people hamid khan and jamie garcia are two of the activists you heard earlier at the commissioner's meeting if you ever want to know about policing or how it operates you don't need to pick up fancy books just go to the police commission and you'll start to learn all the policies and procedures that the la police commission is essentially rubber stamping through there has never been a time where i've seen any commissioner vote no on any type of policy or procedure that lapd has proposed so shane murphy goldsmith I got a sense that there's a history because she was definitely seemed to be a target of people's calls. Shame on shame! Shame on shame! So tell me a little bit about where that comes from. Well, Shane Goldsmith is the executive director of um, Liberty Hill Foundation, and they're known for being one of the most progressive foundations in California as far as giving um, monies to organizations that are doing human rights work. One of the police commission meetings, which we made reference to, Shane Goldsmith had passed through monies for the records management system. And the records management system is a huge component of preserving the life of predictive analytics and predictive policing in LAPD. And so we gave testimony to that and they passed it through. So during the same time, Shane was newly appointed and they wanted to have a meeting with us to sit down and find out what we wanted. So in that meeting, we raised several. Just her? Mm -hmm. Just her. Um, And I think an assistant, one of her assistants was there. So in that meeting, we spoke with her about all our various concerns. And because I had the huge suspicion that a lot of this data-driven policing, the commission knew nothing about, I asked her directly if she understood what the records management system was and how it correlates to predictive policing. And she was very frank, which, you know, the honesty was very appreciated, but uh, she said no. It made it very clear to the community that the people who are supposed to be in control of LAPD have no idea what's going on. And this is the, the, the thing that I use as to why there's just no trust. Another source of mistrust, according to Jamie and Hamid, is that Shane Goldsmith helped to start an independent review of predictive policing programs at LAPD with the Inspector General's office. And she formed a subcommittee of the commission to study these programs. Shane Goldsmith confirmed to me these facts through email, though she doesn't remember the details of her meeting with the coalition. 
The coalition's anger at her in particular stems from the fact that she voted to approve funding for a new seesaw before the results of this review. There is no trust on their side that any of these reviews and examinations are conducted in good faith. But the same is true from the police commissioner's perspective. Their goal is at best to increase transparency and respond to concerns with reform. A goal that is not shared by the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition. I mean, our fight is to dismantle and abolish these programs. I'm Mr. Pancake, uh, community organizer with LA Can here in Los Angeles. Right. Mm-hmm. Why don't you describe what we're doing today? Uh, we're having an action and we're calling for the dismantling of CSOC and also Operation Laser. Jamie, how many of these have you done before? These um, kinds of so we have actually shut down the fusion center, which is one of the largest fusion centers that exists in the country, one of the largest ones in Norwalk. And fusion centers operate kind of similarly. They, they get raw data from police departments, from 18,000 law enforcement agencies, and share that data with up to 18,000 law enforcement agencies. So when you say you shut them down, you went over there and you occupied the inside? or They actually booted us out, but we locked down business for a day. You seem kind of skeptical right now. Um, skeptical, yeah, I mean... Tell me what you're skeptical about. Yeah. Who are these people? Are these, all these people patriotic Americans? Or are all these people flag-burning, uh, hate the authority, anarchists? If that's the case, why why join with them to, uh, um, to fight a good cause? What if they're just the group that happened to have really bad interactions with bad police? And they, and as a result of that, they observe policing as an institution as organized against them. Well, if there are people that are prone to criminal activity, then you have to also take that into account. Because if, you, if the police stop you and you have drugs on you and you have a long rap sheet and, you have a, and then you, you can't, you're crying foul, that's a problem. Do you have interactions with police that are generally positive or do you, are, do, are you harassed? I, I have no problem with the police because I have a clean conscience. I do nothing, no, I don't do illegal activity, so why should I have a problem with the police? When you hear people complain, do you think that that's, um, it's because they're probably not being respectful to police? Uh, most definitely. It's a two-way street here. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being frank. Can I, can I have you introduce yourself? They call me Big Joe. So are you denying that a community safety operation center is here? When Jamie's group arrived at the central station and demanded to know about the seesaw, there looked to me to be genuine cluelessness, first with the officer at the window and then the captain of the station. Now, either these officers were the best actors ever, or they really didn't know what Jamie was talking about. So the captain went upstairs to check if anyone knew what a seesaw was and whether there was one in the building. My interpretation was they just didn't know, and some of the activists thought that too. So while this was happening, members of different protest groups, Black Lives Matter, Jewish Voices for Peace, White People for Black Lives, they all started speaking and airing their grievances. So it's an absolute lie that these programs are or could ever be race neutral. Stop hiding behind the guise of technology to justify your racist agenda. I want you all to know that every police officer in this building is complicit. Now, at the end of this, the commander of the bureau, who you heard in the episode, came downstairs, and as soon as he opened the door, I heard this. Tiffany! John McMahon. Right? You're Tiffany Girl? 
So we have community folks outside that if you're willing to speak and engage, that we'd love to ask you questions about Community Safety Operations Center. Uh, uh, real, real quick, okay. Uh, sure. Okay, come on out. Let him know how to go up there. Did he call you out by name in there? Mm -hmm. well, that was, yeah. How did he? Like, I'm not sure. It was the first thing he said when he opened that door was Tiffany. As soon as he came out, yeah, he called me by name, Tiffany Guerra. I mean, Tiffany Guerra was one of the activists in the room with us, but she didn't announce herself and certainly wasn't prominent or leading the group. That was Jamie. It was just bizarre that the commander, who nobody had ever seen, called out a member of a large group by name. And that made me think that they were expecting the activists and looked them up in advance. Me by the way I look. Do you recognize him? No. So you've never seen him before? I didn't recognize him. I mean... Did you have an exchange with him or did you just walk in? I didn't answer when he asked my name because we were there together as a group. Yeah, he seemed to know specific people. And yeah. so I... Which I guess isn't surprising when we consider how much information they have about all of us and about the fact that we've been very direct in calling them out consistently. Since no one at LAPD talked to me for this episode, I asked Sarah Brain about the discussions officers have with each other about predictive policing. What she said surprised me. The LAPD, just like they're one of the more technologically advanced police departments, they're one of the police departments that I think is like more attuned to legal issues, civil liberties issues. And the LAPD is really mindful of being sued, right? Because like they were under this massive consent decree basically for a really long time. And yeah. uh, so they don't want to be engaging in legally contestable practices. A lot of these concerns came up in the course of my field work. So for example, there would be captains and sergeants that would say, I don't want my officers thinking that everybody who's in a predictive box is open season because they're not. You still need individualized suspicion, that kind of thing. And there's variation even within the Los Angeles Police Department. So certain divisions, they do that person-based predictive policing. Other divisions, captains are like, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. That's a civil liberties nightmare. And so I think that, you know, not everyone has equal levels of awareness or the same normative positions on any of these issues. But at least in the LAPD, they are not blind to these concerns. And one thing that isn't minor, I will just add, is how the police themselves are coming under increased surveillance as a result of a lot of these algorithmic tools, for example. Yeah, so like, well, so I think that what's fascinating was like on my very first ride along, I, I picked the LAPD because they were really technologically advanced. And on my very first ride along, I saw the officer type in, you know, that he was code six at a particular address, meaning he like arrived at a certain address. And I thought to myself, like, man, don't they have some automated way of knowing where their cars are? Like, I picked the LAPD because they're really technologically advanced. And he said, I, I mentioned this to him, and he said, oh, yeah, all the cars are equipped with automatic vehicle locators, like AVLs that ping the location of the vehicle every five seconds, but they're not turned on because of resistance from the police officers union. So it turns out the police don't like to be surveilled any more than anybody else does. And so what this, like, interesting consequence, unintended consequence possibly, of a lot of these new technologies is, is that the police themselves are coming under increased managerial surveillance. And so they are having these moments where they're saying, hey, like, I want to maybe resist, I want to contest, I want to drag my feet on these issues because uh, whereas previously, you know, we had a ton of discretion and our captains could tell us what to do, but they couldn't actually track using quote unquote raw data what we were doing. Now we have that data sometimes. Or when officers are searching in Palantir, 
we can see what they're searching. You have to log in in order to do a search. And so I think that actually like one of the main implications of all of this whole big data policing thing might be that there are increased opportunities to police the police. Have you thought about the possibility that you now have a record of officers and what they're doing? And you can actually look at officers and what they're doing. And you can actually have use the data in the opposite way, as a way of monitoring the practices of LAPD. Well, I think that that reminds me of the body camera debate, because the rollout of the body cameras was essentially to be a tool for the community to hold officers accountable. But what we're finding through body cameras is another tool of surveillance, right? So they're just gathering tons of um, video footage of community members. And now we're finding that, that companies are using that video footage, not necessarily from LAPD, but other body camera um, outfitters are using that footage to be able to test or program algorithms to recognize behavioral patterns of people, to preempt how people may act. So what was a tool for communities to to use to monitor police are now actually being used as a tool to predict their behavior and to monitor them ever, um, even more. I think that it's probably an efficiency tool for them. So to think that LAPD would actually be using systems to discipline or control their own officers seems very, there's very little trust and there's very little examples of that ever being done. In April of 2014, we came to find out uh, that the LAPD patrol officers had intentionally broken antennas on 92 out of 300 patrol cars on their dash cameras just to prevent dash cameras from videotaping something. The chief of the police knew that in June of 2013. So now this report is coming back nine months later, right? By September of 2013, the chief of the police informed the president of the commission, Steve Soboroff, that this had happened and this was going on. Steve Soboroff, as a public representative, didn't utter a word, didn't say anything, and not only he didn't mention anything to the community, he then started a campaign to raise money for body cameras. For LAPD was one of the first major police departments to install, to install body cameras. To call them conspiracies would not at all be to sensationalize these issues because these are real things. It isn't the whole story, though. The LAPD did intervene with new rules requiring officers to check their antennas before they got into their patrol cars. And they instituted a formal procedure for investigations over newly missing antennas. Compliance still isn't 100%, though. Also, in 2018, Shane Goldsmith co-authored and got through the commission a policy change that requires LAPD to release dash cam and body camera footage within 45 days of a critical incident, such as an officer involved shooting or allegations of abuse. But there is the legitimate point that officers of LAPD have a lot more power over their surveillance than they ever grant to citizens. Finally, I asked Sarah Brain what she took to be the most transformative elements of predictive policing, features that I didn't mention in the main episode. Yeah, so this is this important shift that I observed from 
like query based systems to alert space systems. So that's actually the language of, of one of the captains that I was talking to. Um, so query based systems, just think about like officers running a license plate, for example, to see if there's any outstanding warrants associated with that plate, for example. Whereas alerts based systems, instead of always just searching a system, if you identify certain characteristics that you're looking for for a person, that could be a license plate or a physical description, you know, somebody's height, sex, race, whatever, then it can ping you when that particular configuration of variables is present. And so this like permits very wide scale passive surveillance. Um, so one officer described it as, you know, throwing the net out there while you go about your other work. So he was, for example, looking for somebody who I think was robbing marijuana clinics. And so he typed in, you know, black male, six foot, whatever, and marijuana clinic. And so whenever any information came up about that in the course of a police report, say, um, or anything, he would be able to get that information. But also, like, I would see officers driving out on patrol and they would be looking for a particular car um, that was associated with a robbery, say, and an automatic license plate reader would pick up that car on the other side of town. Um, and then they would go lights and sirens and go and get that car. They would drive to the last location that that car was picked up and sometimes catch people like that. Whereas previously you would have had to have this like one-to-one surveillance ratio where you have like one cop following one car in order to find out where they are. Well, now you can just kind of like cast this alert space systems net and get notified when something comes up that's of interest to you. You can get all future bonus content of the show, including long form discussions about philosophy between me and special guests. And you can get an ad free feed for this and every other Slate podcast by signing up for Slate Plus now. Just look in the show notes and click the link to slate.com slash hi-fi plus. That's slate.com slash hi-fi plus. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Oh, yeah. 